As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. I'm Justin Briley standing in for Ruth Jackson on this week and next week's show as we bring you a lecture from a past unbelievable conference which was themed around C.S. Lewis's apologetics. Alistair McGrath was one of our speakers and today you'll hear his talk on C.S. Lewis the Storyteller in which he addresses the question of whether we can make apologetics more imaginative. So I hope you enjoy today's show and don't forget to tell your friends about about the podcast and to rate and review it to help others discover this content too and of course you can find out more about the show at cslewispodcast.com well ladies and gentlemen let me begin by saying how privileged i am to be here and and to talk a bit about c.s lewis and the way in which he engages the imagination and let me tell you what i'm going to try and do what i'm going to try and do is to explain to you the way in which lewis makes an appeal to the imagination. Then I'm going to reflect on how we could try and do the same in our conversations, in our preaching, in in writing, you know, whatever it is that you do. And um, I hope that you'll find this interesting. Certainly, Lewis is a very interesting thinker. I'm going to begin by giving you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Then I'm going to give you a quote from Scripture. And we're going to start playing around with these and see where they take us. First of all, from C.S. Lewis. There's a quote from the end of uh, an essay he once wrote called, Is Theology Poetry? Here is the quote. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Now, I'll say it one more time. What I want you to do is try and get the picture in your mind and see what he's getting at. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Now hold that in your mind. Because what Lewis is saying is that when the sun comes up, you see the sun, but you also see everything else. And your ability to see everything else is a sign the sun is up. And one of the points that Lewis makes is this. Lewis says that the ability of the Christian faith to lighten up the landscape, to make sense of things, is itself a very powerful indication of its truth. And I'm going to explore that with you today. But let's put a biblical text alongside that. Let's look at Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Think of that image, the Lord is my light. It is such a powerful image. It's saying God lights things up our lives, certainly, but also things around us. We see things for the very first time. And Lewis really sees apologetics as seeing things from a Christian perspective and realizing how much sense the Christian way of looking at things actually makes. And he uses stories very much to help with this. If you think of Narnia, which many, of course, will see as being Lewis's best writings, then he does use stories in a very powerful way to engage the imagination. And once the imagination's opened up, then ideas can come in. And one of Lewis's insights is that the imagination is the gateway to the soul. Now, some of you will say, well, look, can we, can we just stop there because I'm worried about something? And I, I know what you're worried about, and I'm going to talk about it because I think what you're worried about is fair. What you're probably saying is, look, look, imagination, that's about making things up. That's about imagining things. I thought Christianity was about truth. Well, good point. But let me try and explain what Lewis is saying. What Lewis is saying is not that we invent our faith. Not that we make things up, but that our faith has this ability to captivate our imaginations. Not just something we grasp with our reasons, but something that makes an appeal at a much deeper level as well. And what Lewis is saying is that the Christian faith, the Christian story, when rightly told, has the ability to captivate the imagination of our culture. In other words, people say, you know, I can see that. I wish it was true. And then you can say to them, well, actually, I'm glad you said that because there are some very good reasons for thinking it is. So, you see, the imagination makes people think. That makes them say, you know, that sounds great. I wish it were true. And then you come in with reasoned argument. And what Lewis does is to bring together reason and imagination. I'm going to talk to you about some ways in which he does it. And the idea of story is really important. Let's take a biblical episode. This is from Luke's Gospel. You all know it very well. A man says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, what comes next? Does Jesus pick up a dictionary and say, right, well, on page 635, it says my neighbor is the person next to me. No. He tells a story. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Lewis has read that, and Lewis obviously has thought about this, and he's realized that telling stories is A, very biblical, and B, very good at fleshing things out. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why Lewis's Narnia series has been so influential. So what I'm going to begin by doing is talking about Lewis on the imagination, and then show you how stories come into this. So let's begin by thinking about Lewis on the imagination. What Lewis is saying is that the Christian faith gives us a new way of seeing things. Now, I want you to hold that idea in your mind, seeing things. Let's go back to that idea of light. The Lord is my light. It means things are lit up properly. We see them as they really are. 
We see the world as it is. We see ourselves as we really are when the light of the gospel shines on them. In other words, we strip away illusions. We realize we're sinners. We realize this world is really God's creation. Lewis is saying that in one way, the gospel enables us to see things clearly for the first time. Now, I think we can tweak that a little bit. Let's imagine a lens, okay, a lens. I want you just to hold this in your mind's eye. You're looking at a landscape, but it's out of focus. It's blurred. And you look at it and you say, there's nothing there. There's just a sort of blur there. There's nothing there. And then the cameraman realizes there's a problem and twists the lens, and suddenly everything becomes sharply focused, and you see the picture for the very first time. One of the things that Lewis says, especially in mere Christianity, is that Christianity gives us a lens that brings things into focus. So when someone like Richard Dawkins says, well, I look at the world and there's no meaning, there's no goodness, there's no nothing, you know, we could simply say to him, I'm sorry, you're out of focus. What you need is a set of spectacles that bring things into focus so you can see them properly as they really are. And Christianity gives us that set of spectacles. And in mere Christianity, as many of you will know, Lewis develops that image of looking out of a window or looking through a telescope to try and make the point that Christianity enables us to see things properly. Now, of course, You know, if we're looking at a landscape lit up by the sun, there'll be bits that are in darkness still. They're the shadowlands, to use Lewis's phrase. But Lewis's point is that we see things better than we otherwise would. Now, let me emphasize, there is more to Christianity than just making sense of things. That's very important. But obviously, that's why we want to talk about salvation, forgiveness, renewal, transformation. That's all very, very important. But what Lewis is saying is that one aspect of the gospel that's really important in apologetics is it makes sense of things. So, let's look at an example that Lewis uses and see how this works. And we're going to talk about something that many of you will know very, very well It's the idea of joy. Joy. For us, I think joy just means something that makes us happy. For Lewis, however, it has a deeper meaning. It means a sense of yearning, a sense of longing for something that really matters, a sense that we are on the threshold of something really important, and a sense You know, whatever is there, it's really important if only we could reach out and grasp it. And that actually is something that's very common in human experience. Uh, Bertrand Russell, the well-known atheist, wrote a very famous letter in 1917 talking about his sense of longing for something that always eluded him, but he knew it was there, but he just hadn't been able to take hold of it. What Lewis says is, let's look at that experience through a Christian lens. And his argument is that Christianity makes sense of this. Lewis says, you know, look, we were made 
by God. We were made by God to relate to God. And until we relate to God, we are going to be unfulfilled. It's like an absence when there ought to be a presence. Those of you who like reading Pascal, it's this idea of a God-shaped gap within us. And so what Lewis is saying is, look, the Christian faith gives you a framework, a way of understanding this experience which makes sense of it and also, in effect, gives you a way of realizing what it really means and where it's going to take you. And again, if you read Mere Christianity or Surprised by Joy, you'll find Lewis talking about God shooting arrows of joy at us. In other words, getting us to long for things and then realizing that nothing in this world is able to satisfy that deep sense of longing. And Lewis makes the point in Mere Christianity, I quote from that now, if I experience a sense of longing which nothing in this world is able to satisfy, the best explanation is I was made for another world. In other words, Lewis is saying that Christianity gives you a way of looking at the world, your own experiences, and it says we can make sense of this. And not just make sense of it, we can see where it's pointing. We can, in effect, deliver what it's pointing to. And that, for Lewis, really is very important. Thinking about how we begin to use the Christian faith as a way of making sense of things. Or again, we might look at ourselves, and we're aware of longing for good things, yet ending up doing bad things, a classic dilemma that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7. And Lewis's point is, look, the Christian faith gives us a way of looking at things, a way of looking at ourselves, which helps us understand why we have a sense of moral obligation and why we keep on messing up. The idea of being made in God's image, the idea of being sinful. And Lewis says, look, this makes so much sense of things. Of course, it also enables us to ask, well, you know, who is going to sort out this mess we're in? And of course, Lewis has got a very good answer to that, as you can imagine. But Lewis is really saying, look, try this approach to apologetics. Not necessarily deductive arguments, but rather, listen very carefully, try seeing things this way. Again, try seeing things this way. And very often I find when I'm in conversation with my friends that I will say, well, let me tell you how this looks from where I am. And I'll talk about how the Christian faith makes sense of what I see in the world around me, what I experience within me. And then I'll invite them as atheists or whatever to say, well, you tell me how it looks from where you are. And what we're doing is, in effect, we're saying, let's see whose lens brings this into sharper focus. And I'm going to tell you, Christianity scores very highly on this indeed. So Lewis, in effect, is giving us a way of doing apologetics, which avo avoids what Lewis himself once described as a glib and shallow rationalism. For Lewis, the Christian faith is entirely reasonable. But Lewis is adamant, listen very carefully, we are not imprisoned by that very narrow world of what reason can prove. 
Lewis's big point, which is very, very important, is that if you limit yourself to what reason can prove, that is a very small world indeed. And it is deeply existentially inadequate. I can prove that two and two make four, but I'm going to tell you, you know, if it's a, it's a bad day and you're really feeling miserable, that is not going to change your life for the better. Lewis's point is this. The Christian faith is not irrational. It just goes beyond the limits of reason. Christianity transcends the limits of reason. Reason says, we can go like that, and then we stop. Lewis is saying, we can go like that, and we can go further, because God has lit up things by his grace, so we can see them as they really are. Now, it's an important point. The things you can prove by reason are shallow truths. The big things, like there is a meaning to life, there is a God, moral values, political ideas, all these truths by which we live go beyond reason doesn't mean they're irrational. It just means that reason takes us about that far and we need to go a lot further. And Lewis's point is that the Christian faith allows us to do that. Now there's more I could say about this, but my story theme needs to begin to come in. Why does Lewis see stories as being so important? Lewis began to realize the importance of this in the late 1930s. He wrote a series of books. We sometimes call this the Space Trilogy or the Ransom Trilogy. It's things like Out of the Silent Planet. And these were stories that Lewis told because he realized that when you get into a story, you don't just enjoy the story, you begin to pick up on its ideas and values as well. And Lewis actually was reacting against H.G. Wells, who wrote things like the, the War of the Worlds, and those novels convey a very secularist worldview. And Lewis realized he could use the same genre, fiction, as a way of commending and communicating a very different way of thinking. And that's also what we find in Narnia. He's writing at a lower level for children, although I will tell you, as an adult, I rather enjoy reading them. But the point is, the story draws us in. Now, let's be very naughty. How many of you have bought Dan Brown's book, Inferno? I can see some hands twitching, but nobody wants to put them up. But, you know, um, a while back, I read, or began to read, The Da Vinci Code. And let me tell you what happened to me when I read that. I thought, this is absolute rubbish. I wonder what happens on the next page. You know? <laughs> you know? Oh, right, it's still absolute rubbish. What happens on the next page? You know, and, and you know, the story drew me in. Now, I wasn't persuaded. It, it's actually a very bad book, but, but it's very well written. And the point I want to make is this. Lewis realized you tell a good story and it draws people in. They begin to say, I wonder what happens next. Aslan. Who's this? And they begin to linger. They begin to reflect. 
And Lewis's point, which I think is very important, is if you tell a good story, you have an audience who will listen, and the ideas you want to explore with them become embedded in their minds. And I think that's really important. Now, some of you will be saying, look, you know, I'm not going to write books. I'm just saying to you, stories aren't necessarily things you write down. They're things you tell people. It's a bit like an analogy. It's a bit like Jesus' parables. And I think we need to appreciate how important those parables are. Because in many ways, what Jesus is doing is telling stories to make important points. Let's just look at three of them very, very briefly. The parable of the prodigal son. That's all about the grace of God who welcomes and embraces sinners. And I could talk to you in very abstract doctrinal terms about, you know, the graciousness of God, human sin, God, in effect, forgiving us. And that's true, but it lacks the imaginative embrace of the parable of the prodigal son, which draws people in and, in effect, helps people realize what forgiveness feels like. You know, it makes it real, if I can put it like that. And that's one of the great themes about the New Testament. It's not just that Christianity is true, it is real. And very often telling stories is a very powerful way of communicating that reality of faith. Or again, the parable of the pearl of great price. I often use this. You know, it's a beautiful story of a merchant who knew a lot about precious things and then sees this pearl. And he realizes, until I own this, I will not be satisfied. This is the best. And if necessary, I sell everything else to have and to hold it. It's a very powerful story. And of course, the point is, that's what the gospel is like. When you embrace the gospel, you realize everything else actually is inadequate, that this is the one thing that's worth having. And that story is a great conversation opener, a great sermon opener. And I could give other examples, but the point I want to emphasize is this. Lewis tells us how important stories are. And in a moment, I'm going to look at how he uses Narnia. But I want to focus on you for a few minutes. How can you use stories? And I want to say that each of you has one very important story you can tell. And basically the story is you and God. Either how you discovered God, that'd be my story. Maybe yours might be how God has become more and more important to me as I've lived life and discovered how much I need God in those dark moments, how much God helped make sense of things, each of you could tell a story. And you may say, look, I'm not that good with words. I don't mind. The point is, it's authentic. It's you. And here is the really important point. This is the story of how God took hold of you and became part of your life. If I can put it very, very simply, again, not just true, but real, life-changing, life-transforming, life-giving. And each of you 
could tell that story. And we live in a cultural context in which stories are very much valued. What would you say if someone said to me, tell me why you believe in God? You could give them some arguments, but you can say, look, let me tell you my story. And you begin to tell them how you came to faith or what your faith means to you in everyday life. And you will get an audience. But let's move on to Lewis and Narnia. Why is Narnia so successful? Well, I'd want to say that it tells a very good story and it tells it very, very well. But we need to go deeper than that. Let me pick up a few themes. Here we go. First theme. The children in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe go through the wardrobe into this land called Narnia. And many of you know the scene very, very well. And as the novel develops, the children hear different stories about the origins and true nature of Narnia. It's the witch's domain. She's the true ruler. It's hers. It's really Aslan's realm. He's not here at the moment, but he's coming back. And when he comes back, everything's going to change. Now, you see, those are two very different stories. And each of those stories communicates a framework of meaning, an understanding of what things are really like. And Lewis basically tells the story of how the children discover which story is to be trusted. Now, let's transpose to our own situation. We live in a world of competing stories. What you see is what you get. This is just a meaningless world. It's not going anywhere. All we can do is make the best of it, and that's it. Or, we are the precious beloved children of a loving God who gave his only son so that each of us might embrace and enjoy eternal life. Now, see, those are different stories that can't both be right. And what Lewis is doing in, in the Narnia Chronicles is enabling us to see that we live in a world where different stories of meaning are being told and alerting us to the fact we are going to have to make judgments and choose. And I think it's a very important point, especially for young children, to realize that you can't just read off the meaning of the world. There are stories being told and that we need to make sure our story is told, defended, explained, and embraced. That's the first point. Second point is this. One of the points that you notice when you read Mere Christ, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia perhaps two times is that there are lots of stories in Narnia and they're all held together by a master story. 
by the story of Aslan, which, if you like, connects all these stories together and enables you to see what they really mean. You think of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, which, incidentally, um, Lewis helped Tolkien to finish, otherwise he would never have finished. It's all about a ring which is so powerful that you just have to destroy it. Otherwise, it is so damaging for the world. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia are about finding a master story and embracing it because that story is so good at making sense of things. Now, here's the really important point. I have a story, and each of you has a story as well. And the Chronicles of Narnia gives us a way of understanding something that's true whether Narnia is there or not. But Narnia helps us to to understand it better. And it's this, that each of our own stories really only makes sense in terms of a bigger story. And the bigger story, of course, is the whole story of God's dealings with the world and with us. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That big story positions each of us. It helps understand who we are, why we're here. It gives us meaning and purpose. And we begin to see our stories as making sense and being directed towards this bigger story. So what Lewis is doing is helping us to see that grasping a bigger story is really very, very important for understanding who we are and what we're meant to be doing. Now, my guess is that each of you here has a favorite passage in Narnia, and I'm not going to bore you by telling what mine are, but I want to say to you, Lewis is telling us, use stories. They engage the imagination. They enable us to to portray Christian truths in a very vivid and dramatic way. So if we may, we'll just linger on that point. I'm going to end by looking at a classic question in Christian apologetics. We're going to look at (coughs) this argument which you will find in Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and all the new atheists. And it goes like this. You have just invented God because you can't cope with life without him. What you've done is simply projected from this world onto some imaginary screen. There's nothing there. Everything in the idea of God is simply something you've picked up here and magnified. There is no God. There's just what there is in this world. Now, if I had to engage with that, I would probably do it in a rather dull and uninteresting way. Uh, I would say, well, look, you know, uh, what you're saying is we just invent things to be the way they are. But if that is true then A, atheism has exactly the same problem because atheists are atheists generally because they don't want to be hassled by God. They want to do whatever they like. 
So you can make that point. And secondly, of course, you can also make the point that, um, you know, uh, you may long for something to be true, but that doesn't mean it can't be true just because you want it. I mean, listen to my throat. It's going really dry. And I might say to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a glass of water? Well, (laughs) you see the point. You know, I want it, so that's the reason why it can't be there. So, you know, you can begin to challenge on that ground. I really did need a glass of water. (laughs) But Lewis does it different. Let's imagine the the silver chair. And let me remind you of the story. There is this underground kingdom ruled by a witch. And a Narnian prince comes in from the real world and tries to explain to the witch, look, there's just this miserable little kingdom that's yours, and there is this wonderful world beyond it. Why don't you go into it? You've limited reality to this pathetic little place under the ground. And she says, well, tell me about this <laughs> other world. And the Narnian prince says, well, look, you know, there's a, there's a lamp in the ceiling. Well, in the real world, we've got a sun. And just like that lamp hangs from the ceiling, so the, the sun hangs in the sky. And the witch says, that's nonsense. How can the sun hang in this sky? You've just made the whole thing up. There's that lamp, and that's the only reality. And you've just invented this idea of the sun by looking at the lamp. Don't be so stupid. But all of us who read that story know there is a real world beyond that underground kingdom. And so what seems like quite a sophisticated argument is subverted because we realize there really is a world beyond the cave. And this woman's argument sounds very sophisticated, but in reality, it's clearly wrong. I use an argument. Lewis tells a story. And I want to suggest to you the story actually probably works better. But by the grace of God, we have images, we have arguments, we have stories. And as I end, I simply want to make the point that C.S. Lewis uses all of those. For those of you who've read Lewis, think of mere Christianity. Think of Narnia. Same ideas expressed argumentatively in mere Christianity, expressed as a story in Narnia. It's great that there are two different approaches, and maybe it is that some people value argument more than story. If so, that's great. But Lewis helps us to see we can use both. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to today's special podcast, bringing you Alistair McGrath's talk on C.S. Lewis, the storyteller, from our 2013 Unbelievable Conference. Next time, you'll hear the audience Q&A that took place following his talk. If you have any suggestions for the podcast, then feel free to get in touch with me, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. And do visit our website for more about the show. That's cslewispodcast.com. See you next time.